1: Periscope's good.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCfootball.com. I'm Rose Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about today. USC, for the second time, uh, first time in history, second time this season, a last-minute victory, 34-30. to 30. USC pulls out the win in Arizona. I was there. These two were watching it from home, so we have some different perspectives on the game. A lot to talk about. Like I said, USC... Uh, just had their press conference with Clay Helton, so we'll get a recap on that, some injury updates. And we'll talk about, last week we talked about, hey, is this rust? Is this pandemic rust, or is this a Clay Helton coach team? It seems like the latter, and we'll get into that. And Keen Slovis, his arm, we got another update about how he's feeling, and and if there's arm gate is what Chris, Chris Trevino called it. We'll talk about that. Uh, but guys, like I said, uh, USC just had their press conference with Clay Helton. What were the key takeaways? Ryan, I guess I'll go to you first.
1: Yeah, well, welcome everybody into the show. Uh, so Clay Hilton started the press conference out. I tweeted this out. I knew this wasn't going to go over very well. He said, uh, congratulations to the USC coaches and players on being 1-0 and last week and 2-0 and on the season. And uh, it just it just it kind of started off, to for me, it just started off on the wrong foot. You know, it's just like you, you you have to address the issues in the room. This was the, the top-ranked team in the Pac-12 as far as talent playing the lowest-ranked team, like the least talented team. And you needed another late, you know, Game miracle to uh, to take the victory. So to come in there and and shotgun tweeted it out, talk about the superlatives. You know, what was positive? There was a lot of positives, Six or seven things on offense. Six or seven things on defense. And a few things that they wanted to address. And it just I think that ratio is off. There has to be more things that this team wants to address. So he did say the areas of growth were trips to the red zone. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit. Third down efficiency. And the penalties, and uh, he called the ego, he, the non-ego penalties. So you got to make good decisions, and there were some bad decisions that were made. He said he didn't agree with some of them, uh, but those were uh, some of the things that he started off at the uh, at the top of the show.
2: Shotgun, I know you got to ask a couple questions in the presser as well. What were your takeaways?
3: Um, you know, the thing that stood out to me the most was Clay Helton talking about championships. And he said the difference in us winning a championship. Now, he didn't specify if that's the Pac-12 South Division title, if that's the Pac-12, if that's a national championship, you know, just one on the West Coast, one in L.A. Didn't, didn't really specify which one. But he said the difference in us winning a championship, and he said it's critical for us, is the rushing yards. And they've been wanting to hit a mark of 165 to 170 per game. So where does that number come from? I thought this was kind of interesting. He said he, they looked at LSU and Alabama last year. He said those were the two other teams that they thought were really good throwing the ball along with USC. So he thought that they were an elite class of being able to throw the ball last year along with LSU and Alabama. And he said, what was the difference in us and them? He said that both those teams were able to run the ball for around 160, 170 yards. So that's been one of their goals this season. And they think that can be the difference in this team winning and and, being, being as successful as LSU and Alabama, it appears. So I thought that was just really interesting that they've set a mark and where it actually came from. Obviously, I think running the ball is important for them. And hey, if it, if it takes them setting a goal to be more consistent with the run game and use it more frequently, then I, I'm all for it. But uh, I just really, it really stood out to me that winning a championship, that phrase, was in there and it, that the run game is what's critical for them.
2: Shotgun, um, you also got an injury update as well. mohassan USC's uh, third-string quarterback, he was a transfer, grad transfer from Vanderbilt. He is out, and now USC has two scholarship uh, quarterbacks left on the roster. What was the injury, shotgun? And, and where does this leave USC quarterback wise?
3: Yeah, Clay Hilton went through the whole list of injuries, and, and Mohasan was one of the guys. He said that he developed. Uh, compartment syndrome last week assuming that means in his legs that's usually where it affects most people Um, Michael Pittman Jr. if you guys follow him in the NFL he actually developed this earlier with the Colts and had to have emergency surgery and was out for you know five I think five or six weeks for him Uh, Clay Helton said they you know Mohasan three to four weeks probably minimum to get him back you know it's it's where some pressure can build up in a limb and if you don't get it taken care of and relieved and a lot of times that it, it requires an emergency surgery then There's a fear that you can lose a limb because of it, and it's something that's just kind of unique and and, uh, doesn't happen very often. But uh, our thoughts are with him. Hopefully he gets healthy uh, from that. But that puts the uh, quarterback room... You know, you already you only had two scholarship quarterbacks coming into the season. That was going to be the case throughout. But Mohassan is a guy that you felt like, hey, we can have a little bit more confidence in this guy as a walk-on. He's a grad transfer. He played at Vanderbilt and only played a couple of games and only had a you know a handful of snaps, but he had a start in the SEC. That's a lot different than your, your typical walk-on quarterback that you're gonna have. So to lose him, uh, you know, just the, the potential of injury, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but is there something wrong with Keaton Slovis's arm? That is a big question that's coming up. Um, if there if there is actually something wrong, you have to go to Matt Fink, and he you know gets rolled up on or something. Where do you turn after that? That's a big question for USC. So Mohassan losing him, you don't think of a third string quarterback as a big injury, but could be for USC just with you know the way they've had quarterbacks be injured in the past. A couple other injuries that uh, Clay Helton did update us on. He said Brett Nealon was not medically cleared even though he traveled for the game, so he did not play. Um, Caleb Tremblay, a starter on the defensive line, had stingers that he traveled as well but couldn't get it corrected by the time the game uh, was taking place, so he did not play. Palli and ITOT had a lower leg injury as well as was in concussion protocol, which mm-hmm. Keeley reported from uh, from the stands where she was shooting photos on Saturday. Talanoa had a thigh contusion. He eventually came back. Jude Wolf aggravated an ankle injury, and he, we, that's why we didn't see him in the second half or later in the game. Um, so, Eric Cronenhoek took those snaps, and Eric Cronenhoek got his first uh, career touchdown. Congratulations to him. Also, Drake Jackson, he mentioned briefly, he just said that he was getting IV fluids. So, I guess, you know, as Keeley was reporting on the sideline, it looked like there was, you know, they were checking him for something that wasn't, yeah. you know, injury related, more health related. So, it looks like, you know, there's some dehydration issues there. Yeah. And then I also asked about a couple of long-term injuries, Elijah Winston and Juliana Falonico, a pair of linebackers, in particular because USC was down uh, to Raymond Scott, who they just had moved from safety back to linebacker in fall camp, and he had to play a bunch in this game with Natiote going out. Uh, but Elijah Winston, Clay Helton said, probably not coming back this season, doesn't see it. So it was a pretty severe ankle injury he suffered during the summer. Juliana Falonico suffered uh, an ankle injury, I believe, uh, in practice in fall camp. He it looks like should be back by the end of the year. They're, they're optimistic on that, but he's still a couple of weeks away. He's uh, about to get back uh, running on land. So um, as, as Clay put it, he's been doing some underwater treadmills type stuff, but hasn't been on uh, flat land yet. So. so there's your injury update for for this week. Thank
2: you, Shotgun. Yeah. very comprehensive, very very well done. Um, as a reminder, you guys can call us 512-4TUNNEL. We have a full call list right now. I will get to you in a bit. Hang tight, guys. I will get to you in a second once we get the full general updates. You uh, can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever uh, you are watching, Facebook, YouTube, or Periscope, uh, put your comments, questions, and concerns, and I will be sure to pass along to these guys, and we'll talk about whatever you guys want us to. Uh, and it's already popping, so thanks for that. Now,
1: uh, Keely, real yes. quick, one thing. So, newsy, kind of newsy thing. Uh, asked about the Utah game. Obviously, mm-hmm. Utah hasn't played a game yet. Clay Hilton said it was trending in the right direction. Normally on Mondays, uh, Kyle Whittingham is supposed to address the media. They did cancel that. He's going to do it on Tuesday. They're doing a bunch of testing over the weekend, and Utah should know probably sometime tomorrow on Monday uh, what's going on. But they they didn't they didn't feel like canceling the the press conference with Whittingham was something that was going that m- was indicated indicating that they weren't going to be able to play the game. Uh, and Clay Hilton was asked about that. He talked about, you know, the, the contingency plans where you could potentially play Colorado this coming weekend instead of Utah. Col- USC is supposed to play Colorado the weekend after that. And it would basically be a swap because Arizona State uh, and, and Colorado and Utah all you are know, all playing together. So you could have Colorado and Utah play, or USC play Utah the following week and play Colorado this week uh, because they got their game canceled with Arizona State. So it's kind of a... a Clayton didn't quite understand that, but the, the swap would actually work really well. If USC can't play Utah, playing Colorado in the Coliseum is a great option. And then you could end up going to play Utah the following weekend just to swap those out because the Arizona State things got canceled. So it, Colorado has an open date. They just move it up, and then you could swap it and play with Utah. So uh, Clay Hilton didn't think that was going to happen because they already play next week, but I don't think he quite understood, at least when he was talking to us, about what that would actually mean. It's a pretty perfect swap, and it would work out well if, for some reason, USC can't play Utah. And by for, for some reason, meaning COVID-19.
3: Yes. I, yeah. I think the interesting thing to, to look at is what the Pac-12 is doing. You know, you saw today UCLA and Cal played this morning at 9 a.m. Crazy. To try to get that game in. They're being creative. So just because the game is on the schedule for Saturday at 8.30 local time in Utah, maybe we we'll see something different. So it's going to take... I think I talked about this before the season, you know, I said, you know, even maybe in March and April is the, the teams that if this thing played out, uh, that would be the most successful are the ones that are able to adapt the best. And that's what this is going to take in the PAC 12. I mean, if you're Cal and you know, you're know you preparing for Arizona, all Arizona state all week, and then suddenly you get UCLA, um, you know, th- there's, there's going to be some struggles when you have one day of preparation there. And especially, you know, what is Clay Hilton going to say, you know, if they only have one day to look at tape, you know, because they, they've talked about so often about when they don't they have the unscouted looks, that's a true unscouted. Well, we got one day to, to look at things and try to go over and walk through and be ready to play on, on Saturday or Sunday this, this week for Cal and
1: UCLA. Mm-hmm.
2: And Ryan, just if, if USC does play Colorado a week early, Colorado's looking pretty good, and you were a hater coming into the season.
1: <laughs> I predicted Colorado wouldn't win a game, and yeah. they look really good. Uh, for a team that had no spring, so you want to give excuses. There's no excuses in Colorado. You have Carl Durrell who hasn't coached in, what, 13 years. <laughs> they had no spring practice. He didn't really meet his players until, like, the pandemic started, so he was meeting everybody on Zoom. They, their quarterback has never played. He was a, a tight end. I mean, he was a safety last year. And they've looked really good. Uh, they have just really impressed with the way Colorado has been playing. So that game is not going to be as easy as I would have thought. Uh, it's a mobile quarterback, a guy that can run. We've seen that hurt USC in the past, uh, very recent past, you know, the last couple of weeks. Yes. So, yeah, So that's uh, we don't know what to expect from Utah, but we've seen Colorado... And they're actually a lot better than uh, than what I thought going in.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the game against Arizona. Uh, Shotgun, you alluded to it. Keaton Solves' arm. That's something that we talked about last Sunday. Ryan, you got to ask Graham Harrell about it this week, and everyone said, no, it's fine. Maybe it's the ball. Maybe it's Whatever. Come Saturday, it's the second week where Keenan Slovis just his arm just doesn't look sharp. His ball has a bit of a wobble to it. It what we weren't entirely sure what's going on. We asked after the game. Keenan Slovis said he feels great. He feels fine. We ask again, Clay Helton on Sunday. He said, you know, uh, if it's mechanical, they'll fix it. Uh, it might be the there was the he said it was like there was some like uh, wetness on his hand. Maybe he felt like he was gonna like lose the ball. It's an interesting, and I, I think the broadcast was talking about it a lot too. I wasn't hearing it, they but were, that's what yeah. there were a lot of tweets about it as well. Um, it was really interesting to see from my point of view because first game I was in the press box. Can't I could still see the wobble, but not as well. I'm used to seeing Keaton on the sideline, and so to be able to, closer to see the ball. It was just not there. The long bomb to Almaraz St. Brown had a wobble to it. The checkdowns had to wobble to it at times. It was just really interesting. And Ryan, I'm going to go to you first. Yeah. What do you think is going on with Keaton Slowis?
1: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, when I asked Graham Harrell, he, could, he was like kind of playing like, uh, I don't know. I couldn't tell from way up where I was sitting, you know, and Clay Helton said it was the, you know, well, maybe it's a little too dry or, or like you said, some wetness. Uh, it was windy, and then you know Jason Shearer covers the Wildcats, and I know you probably you've said the same thing. It wasn't windy at all. No, so that it was wasn't, not. So <laughs> a light
2: not, I, breeze, if you will, nothing to change the trajectory of a ball. Yeah,
1: nothing to make it wobble like that. Sure, uh, it was definitely. And it's sort of like USC's overall record. Like USC's two and right? Like are they two and But you've watched the games. You're like, do you feel like they're two and Like not really. He's completed still like what's probably on the season. It's like, I think it was 73 in one game, 70 in the other or something like that. I mean, he's still up there with the completion percentage. He's got the touchdown, you know, four touchdown drives in the last, you know, two minutes or whatever, four minutes of each game. That's there. I mean, the results are there as far as like delivering. I think he, of his last 14 passes, he hit 13 of them and the other one was a drop. So, uh, I mean, he was really good at the end of the game. The ball's getting to the right spot a lot of the times. But it just doesn't look the same. And I feel like, you know, USC is undefeated, but they don't look like they should be this undefeated team. And Keaton doesn't look like the same passer he was last year, even though the numbers are still pretty good. So I, I'm not sure. I know Shotgun's got some, some theories on it, but it's, there's something that isn't right. I mean, when the broadcast is talking about it, when all the fans are tweeting about it, you could see it. I mean, you can see it. That's yeah. just the ball is moving differently than what we saw last year. doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback, doesn't no. mean, but it's different than it's what we saw last yes. year.
3: Yeah, so so I wrote a little bit about this last night, uh, you know, with Keaton's remarks, with Clay Helton's remarks, Graham Harrell's remarks. um, You know, Clay Helton and Graham Harrell take their remarks with a grain of salt. They're trying to protect their quarterback. That's what I think, you know, whatever they're saying, you know, they're trying to give, I said alibis in my story rather than excuses. They're (laughs) trying to give reasons, kind of justifications for why it's not coming out Right but it's not. The ball is not coming out of his hand cleanly. Um, the mechanics, sometimes it looks like his arm slot is changing a little bit. Now quarterbacks, you look at Patrick Mahomes, his arm slot changes all the time. But if you, sometimes if you have from pitching, I know if you have an injury, sometimes you will change your arm slot to try to find where there's less pressure on it, where there's less pain, where you're not feeling as much, or if you have a dead arm, same type of situation, you'll try to find a different arm slot where you feel like the ball is coming out more clean. Um, watching Keaton Slovis. I try to look at some of the mechanics there. The, you know, the ball still seems like, you know, the mechanics of the throws, the setup, that seems like it's okay. He says it's mechanics. But one of the things I noticed is the ball's coming out like a slider. So I've got a ball here and, and I'll try to, to do a backwards demonstration here. Visuals. Um, so when the ball comes out of your hand, a quarterback has his, his hand on the back of the football with his finger on the, on the tip. So when it comes out, it should come off that tip and come in a nice spiral. The problem with Slovis' balls, and you look, and one of the, the, the plays I talked about in the article was a throw over the middle to, to Drake London, straight down the hashes, a seam throw, London's coming across. If he throws and hits him in stride, he walks in the end zone easily. Instead, the ball kind of flutters up there. Drake London goes up and makes a catch, and he, you know, he makes a defender miss. He's tackled at the five-yard line. It takes him three more snaps before they hit Eric Cromenhoek for the touchdown. So that's one of the things that's concerned because you're just having to force this offense to do more, and that's never a good thing with USC. You know, Instead of taking the easy points or taking the easy plays, you're forcing them to, to be consistently good over a long process, which is why defenses are playing those zone coverages. They're trying to do the same thing. So what did I notice on that play when I slowed it down and looked at it? The ball coming out of Keaton Slovis' hands, as soon as it releases, there's two frames uh, on the on the replay, and suddenly the ball is sideways. So if you're seeing it, if Keaton Slovis' hand is back here, as the ball lets go two frames forward, the ball was completely sideways. I could see the full laces on it. Now he's throwing it with velocity. There is some zip on the ball, and the ball corrects and starts going towards a normal pattern. And then it's wobbling still, but it's trying to correct itself um, there. Unlike you know a boomerang, would you'd you would have a different trajectory there but it's trying to correct itself, but because it starts out so sideways, it can't. And that's why you're getting some of that wobble. So is it just coming off his hand wrong? I think that could be part of it. So I've heard uh, you know, a source told me, you know, that a family member told them that Keene just thinks it's mechanics and that, you know, that he's had some issues with the balls being really slick. Now, is this a possibility? Yes. There's no student managers to rub up the balls. You're just having these, these are small things that can be overlooked in this type of season. And these are the type of things that you think a Nick Saban would have figured out the Nick Saban will be like, make sure someone has is on the ball duty. Whereas maybe it's being overlooked at USC and they, you know, they came out and there were slick balls and the ball's coming off. And Graham Harrell did say they broke in new balls for the game and that they were going to continue breaking them in throughout the week because there were some slickness issues. There's also been a little bit of, there was a little bit of dampness in the first game. So there's a cumulative uh, things that could be the possibility, but the biggest thing is it's not coming out right. There's something not working correctly, whether it's mechanics or if there isn't actually an injury, and that's what's forcing those mechanical changes. Keaton Slovis is coming off an elbow injury in that uh, in that Holiday Bowl, and as the the uh, spring and summer progressed, it got it sounded more and more like it was a serious elbow injury. Um, for him rather than just being you know something that would have kept him out a week or so if the season would have been continuing so definitely some concern there and something to keep watching but there is the chance that it is just mechanical but there is definitely it's not coming out right and the problem with that is because that ball is fluttering He's got to throw the ball a little bit higher to get it to the same location. So if you want to go 30 yards, you got to put a little more arc on it to make sure it gets there. And that's a, that's stopping USC's receivers from catching and running after the after they you know are able to, to grab the ball and they're having to jump up to make catches and do different things. So you're, you're losing a lot of run after catch uh, opportunities. And there's just opportunities where you know defenders are able to catch up and, and you know be able to be there to try to make a play on the ball.
2: Mm-hmm. And then when Keenan is struggling in that sense, it's hard for the offense to get into a rhythm. I know Clay Hilton in his uh, uh, conference call tonight talked about areas of growth. Red zone efficiency, third downs, penalties. Obviously, penalties has been a theme in the Clay Hilton era, uh, but the red zone efficiency is really it, – it's pretty bad this season. Uh, Ryan, I know you have a breakdown of what went wrong, I, and I well, think you're pulling it up right now.
1: It lives a little bit. So I was just going through in my rewatch looking at – so there was that series – there's three series in the third quarter that USC got deep in, you know, inside the 10-yard line and came away with three points. So got down to the 1, the 4, and the 10 – so you're at the 1-4 in the 10-yard line of Arizona, and you have three total points. Obviously, that's not good. The interesting thing was each one of those drives was set up by a huge play. So the first drive, it was a, uh, a, a long pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. So it was oh, – where do I have it here? Oh, yeah. So 48-yard pass to uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Gets down to the 10. They lose a yard. He throws it over Drake London's head and they have third and goal from the 11, and then they, they miss the, you know, they, uh, he misses another pass to London, and he kicks a field goal. The next one, Marquis Stepp had that 49-yard run, so he gets this huge run, mm-hmm. and they get down. They, that's the one. That they had fourth and one from the nine. Step ended up picking it up, uh, and then that's when they get down to it's third and one at the one, third and goal at the one. Uh, procedure penalty, a delay of game penalty, then it's third and 11 from the 11, you know, third and goal from the 11. Missed the field goal, and you, go, you get no points in that one. And then the last one was a 37-yard run by, uh, that was by Stephen Carr. So he gets down there, and then that's the one they did the fourth and one play where um, it c- completely gets stuffed. And uh, Clay Helton said uh, also that that play was a um, – it was a assignment, a missed assignment, and it wasn't a bad scheme. And we were you know, looking at it – shocking how we're looking at it. They had a free rusher on the right side of the line. USC had two tight ends on the left side of the line. The free rusher just came through and, and tackled the running back, and it was over like that. So he, he keeps getting asked about, are you going to go under center? And that's just not what they do. And so he's defending the scheme. Uh, but it was interesting that all three of those red zone trips with only three points, all of them were set up by a huge play for USC. So you get this momentum. You had good field position. You get this big play. You're down inside the 10. And then you, you know, all of the plays, they, all of the drives end up going backwards. And then, you know, like I said, two, you know, one failed fourth down conversion, one missed field goal, and then one field goal. Mm-hmm.
3: Can, can we just talk about this fourth of one? <laughs> uh, I, yeah. mean, I mean, Clay Hilton was asked about going under center, And look, I, I don't think they're ever going to do it. I, I don't think that that's, you know, we part of their philosophy. Uh, could they implement a package? Sure. You know, I would like to see a little bit more of the pistol. They did use it one snap today. They used it 20 or so snaps last season. If you're not going to go under center, center at least use the pistol, because then you can give the allure a play action and run some stuff, you know, the quick throws to the tight end and di- different things on those short yardage situations. But fourth and one, you have two tight ends on one side. You're letting a free rusher come, and Keaton Slovis is reading the side where the that your strength is. Normally, when you're reading a run, you're reading the weak side defender and then making him be the, the person that's, uh, you know, put in, in a place uh, of... That you know, in a place of where he has to read whether the quarterback's keeping or giving. Um, so it was just weird the way it was. And I think the fact that you, on those fourth down situations, you're bunching everyone up uh, and bringing your splits in closer, which is like the exact opposite of what the air raid is supposed to be known for. Now, you, when you bring that free rusher, he, he has an extra, he's five to 10 feet closer To your running back. So I think if you're gonna have that free rusher, then you gotta know they're there and you gotta be able to get away from that free rusher quicker. On the first touchdown of the game, Marquis Stepp, very similar. You know, there were nine defenders in the box. USC had seven blockers up front with the offensive line of two tight ends. So Marquis Stepp ended up having to be your own blocker. Uh, and and run over a guy there was a free rusher on the other side but because of the way they ran the ball quickly and because they had two tight end, they had a tight end on each side there was that much further for that free rusher to come in and try to get to step so he didn't have a chance so there's some things that schematically they need to change I, I don't think that you can say well it was a missed assignment every single time and it's curious we haven't really heard Clay Helton blame his coordinators he doesn't really do that. He'll blame the players occasionally, physical beats. Now, he won't necessarily specific, uh, call out a guy and specify who it is that that guy just messed up. But he'll say, oh, physical beats, it was missed assignment. do not ever say, well, we just, we just didn't have a good play call there. Yeah, That doesn't happen. So that's kind of interesting. But this, this was Clay Holton's quote on UnderCenter. He was asked about it. He said, right now, it's just not us. And he said, it's sad that the fourth and one, we had a missed assignment. It's sad, guys. It's sad. Is, is, okay, you ending with that that spice, <laughs> Shaka? Oh, come, come on, it's sad. No, get it corrected. We're gonna get this fixed. Not it's here's sad. the thing.
2: Here's it's the just thing. not
3: us, guys.
1: I'm not even sure who could have been assigned to that guy. Like there was, I think everyone did what they were supposed to do. There just was nobody over there. That that seems a scheme thing to me, not a yeah. missed assignment.
2: Here's the thing, you guys are expecting a different response from Clay Helton, who's going to be the same person we've seen season after season. <laughs> He's going to come out, he's going to be positive, and he's not going to really lean into the negatives and and address what needs to be addressed. It's going to be positive and kind of above it all. And that's what's going to happen. I don't, (laughs) you guys are expecting something different and you're not going to get something different.
3: Being sad is not positive and optimistic.
2: Okay, true. It's
3: just not us, guys. It's sad. Yeah. I
2: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I came in from Arizona, so I missed the the, the conference call. So, so I came.
1: literally just got. Here, I like.
2: flew in here. I didn't actually fly. I drove. That's why I was late. So, anyway. Defense, though, guys, it was an interesting game just because it felt like there was just this rotation of guys coming out. Um, as I noted, Drake Jackson, he looked really exhausted. A source told me it was a dehydration issue. I'm not sure if Clay Hilton has specified what it was. Uh, they had team doctors around him, people were hovering around him. Uh, Palieno toote looked like it was a concussion just because he was sitting in the medical tent for essentially all of the third quarter. Uh, and then you have Talano Hufunga with a deep uh, thigh contusion. And trainers were just working on him every chance that he was not on the field I was surprised that he was actually able to come back because he was just getting worked on so heavily Shotgun, how much does it affect the defense when you have a guy like Talanoa out you have Pal EA out and then you have Drake Jackson and we we saw the difference that he makes once he, when he's in the game how much does that influence the the outcome of, of the game and the defensive performance
3: I mean if you take your best player at each level away <laughs> your defense is definitely going to be worse <laughs> yeah exactly um, but I also think when Talanoa who fungas on the field in particular, the defense seems to have a different swagger. And maybe that's just me seeing that. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but when he came back on the field, it just felt like there was a different boost of energy to that defense knowing that he was back. And because he does so many different things, especially in this defense, they're using him in a lot of different ways, blitzing him off the edge, dropping him into coverage, leaving him in the middle of the field as a zone defender, doing a lot of different things um, with him. And I think that he, you know, everyone on that defense trusts him. I think that's where where the confidence comes from. Um, Palli and Iteote, obviously, you know, he hasn't played up to his potential. I thought Raymond Scott, when he came in, did some nice things. He missed some, some things as well, but for how little time he's been in there. But he did one thing that I want Palli and Iteote to do. And that's just blitz with random, uh, with reckless abandonment. You know, he just destroyed their running back on the play where the quarterback ends up dumping it off to the running back and they picked up two yards. But, you know, he blows up the running back and there was basically a sack and, you know, Gunnell did a nice job of getting rid of it. Um, But there was a couple plays where Raymond Scott just getting involved, just flying around the ball. And EA, it still seems like he's hesitant at times. Um, And then on the defensive line, Drake Jackson, you know, can – can make unique things happen on that defensive line that no one else can. So having him is really big. And you saw at the end of the game, Hunter Echols give him a lot of credit too. I thought he was really good in this game in his pass rush uh, situations, being able to get the quarterback and affect him. Now the, the second sack that Drake Jackson had, the one late in the game, that was caused by Hunter Echols forcing the quarterback off his spot. Uh, Jackson comes from the other side, picks up the sack. So combination uh, getting there as well. So give Hunter Echols some credit as well. But without Drake Jackson, it's a much different defensive alignment uh, uh, attack.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Ryan,
2: what was your assessment of the defense?
1: Yeah, I mean, th- th- there were some good things and bad things. Uh, I, Michael Castillo tweeted out some stuff I'm going to read you in a second. But like I, like, mm-hmm. I did like what Raymond Scott did and actually showed on the broadcast a, a nice view from behind the quarterback from Ganell where you could see there were plays where Scott was actually – uh, the spy, and he was following him whatever hole so there was nowhere for Ganell to run because he was doing a really good job uh, of doing that. And like, you know, J- when Drake Jackson's making big plays, it's going to be a better defense. I thought, like Shotgun said, Hunter Echols nearly had a sack. It, got, it was a sack for, I mean, it was a tackle for no gain on the quarterback, but it looked like it was about to be a sack. Mm-hmm. And like I said, to help contribute to other things. And Marlon Tuipiloto is just an absolute, you know, stud out there, you know, leading the team in tackles. He had eight, five solo tackles from the nose tackle spot. Uh, pretty impressive there. But the, the, the run defense, uh, when you had a mobile quarterback, that's one thing, right? Well, mm-hmm. Greg is not really a mobile quarterback. He was really effective. I think he had four, like, first downs in the first half alone uh, that, he, that he ran for. Um, but the rush defense, Michael Castillo tweeted out, USC is 107th in rush defense. They allow 5.33 yards per carry. And on third down, they're 111th, and they're averaging 5.87 yards a carry. Uh, BYU and USC have allowed the same number of 10 plus yard rushes this year, 18, (laughs) but the Trojans have played six fewer games. I thought that was an interesting one. And then 23.1% of the carries against USC have resulted in 10 plus yard gains. That's 123rd out of 126 FBS teams. So there's been, you know, giving up some big plays, some, some gashing plays, uh, chunk plays in the run game, I think is a, is a concern for USC in that going forward.
2: Now, what we noted uh, when Todd Orlando came to USC was that first-year bump he's had when he goes to different places. It doesn't necessarily seem like that's taking place right now, but he didn't have spring practice to install or practice. And he did mention it's, it's hard getting four weeks of practice and going straight into it. You have unscouted looks two weeks in a row. How do you? I feel like Todd really Orlando should get the benefit of the, of the doubt a little bit more so than than things we've seen season after season with other coaches on this staff. Wh- what's your assessment so far, two weeks in, of this defense?
3: I did. I okay. did like the uh, adjustments they did make in this game, including Raymond Scott using him as a spy. I'm sure they came to this game going, Gunnell's going to run the ball, to pick up first downs, but he did. So you got to make an adjustment to that. And one of the things was them getting out of their pass rush lanes a little bit, and that's not just on the defense line, but everyone when they're blitzing as well. Um, so, but I, I like that they made a little bit of an adjustment there. They felt pretty comfortable shutting down the receivers on the outside. Uh, They did give up the one big play, but uh, the outside receivers, you know, didn't really do much in this game. So I I think that they're gaining more and more confidence in those two outside cornerbacks and Chris Steele was, Clay Helton was asked about Chris Steele's penalties. He said, I'm not going to take that aggressiveness away from him. The thing with Chris Steele is he's in great position. Just take the hands off a little bit. Um, and, and I think that he's going to continue to make plays there. So I don't really have a problem with the couple penalties he's picked up already. Um, so I, I think you, you're getting confidence in that outside and then the safeties over the top. Now you just got to build up everything in front of that a little bit more. And, you know, you're, I think Todd Orlando is probably still figuring out what he's got. Yeah. You know, he's, he likes to blitz and bring different guys and, you know, Max Williams might be his best blitzer, and he's the smallest guy on the field. You know, you but that's something that doesn't necessarily show up in practice. I don't think. I think you got to be going full speed all the time for someone like that to show up and see. Man, this guy just always is, is in the backfield and gets to the quarterback. He's just shifty when he, when someone tries to block him. He's too small for them to to get their hands on. I guess. Um, so that maybe something that doesn't show up in practice, but now you see a couple games. Maybe you start to learn a little bit more now that you got two games uh, to to go off of. Mm-hmm.
2: Alrighty, I'm going to go to our live callers who have been patiently, patiently waiting. I appreciate you guys for doing so. First off, let's go to Joe. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
4: Hi, Ryan, Keeley, Shogun, first time caller, even though I've been a fan of this show for a while. I appreciate you guys taking my call. Of course. Um, My question is about USC's new strength of schedule. When when the schedule first came out, it looked like the Pac-12 made it easy as possible for USC to run the table with them scheduling teams that were not projected to be that good. But now it seems like the schedule might be a little tougher. UCLA took care of business against Cal, Cal today. Colorado is showing promise, being two and zero, and Washington State gave Oregon some fits, even though you know they lost. And and if it's and if it's all if it's a go and you. And USC is going to play Utah. Utah always plays tough and disciplined at home with Kyle Winningham. Mm-hmm. So my question is, do you three, do you three think with the way that USC is playing right now, can they still go undefeated and win the Pac-12 South, or can you, you see a team sticking past USC? Once again, guys, thank you so much for taking my call and fight on. Thanks,
2: Joe. Thanks, Joe. He waited for so long, and thanks for calling for the first time. I'm sorry you had to wait so long. Won't happen again.
1: <laughs> we appreciate it, Joe. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's definitely. We talked about already the Colorado team that, like, wow, they look a lot better than I thought. Two teams on USC schedule that had no spring practice, whole new coaching staffs, came in and, came in late and everything. Uh, Nick Rolovich up at, at Washington State. Man, they look pretty good, even though they they weren't able to get the the win over Oregon. They got some turnovers early. Aiden Hector, USC legacy, had three turnovers himself. Like he, you know, two fumble recoveries and an interception up there for the Cougs. Um, You know, they ended up losing at the end, but that's a a feisty team. And uh, they were pretty fired up for that. And Colorado just, they've been playing great. Um, You know, so they're, you know, new quarterbacks. You had a true freshman quarterback at Washington State. You had a former safety play quarterback at Colorado. They didn't have a lot of time to prepare, and they're, they're looking pretty good. So those are two games that are going to be a little bit tougher than I would have thought for USC. UCLA, even the people that cover UCLA couldn't believe what happened this morning. <laughs> they were like, wait, is this the same team? Like, what's going on here? They, they, I mean, they ran the football really effectively. Cal looked like the team that they had the whole defensive line was in quarantine for two weeks and just came out of it you know, yesterday morning, and they're playing today. That's kind of what happened. I think they just wanted to play a game. You might see Cal be better a little bit later on, but Chase Garbers, my boy, didn't look very good. The Your whole boy. offense didn't look good. I mean, uh, it, I mean, it, it. They weren't supposed to play UCLA, though. That's the thing. Yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot going on there. They traveled. There was guys coming out of quarantine that hadn't practiced for two weeks. <laughs>
2: yeah, like They're, come on.
1: I'm gonna give them a, a break. So we'll see. How the, but UCLA did look better. You know, it looked like an actual cohesive offense. Um, they, they were really effective running the football, and their defense was really aggressive. They played a lot of man coverage and. Stuffed the run uh, for Cal, and then and dared them to, to throw it, and they they made plays in the secondary too. So, uh, yeah, those. I don't think any of those games are going to be easy. The way USC played against Arizona, which I don't think is still a very good team, yeah, they could have lo- They I think they could have lost to any of those teams we just talked about. So, and we don't know about Utah because we haven't seen them yet. So mm-hmm. I still think USC should be undefeated. It's they keep playing this way, they won't be undefeated. I think there's better teams on the schedule that if you play like that. Uh, you know, there was a game, no turnovers. If they, Clayton said after the game, like if they had one turnover, they're probably going to lose that game. Yeah. Probably not going to happen all the time. So yeah, I, th- I think there's teams that definitely can beat USC if they're going to play anywhere near that level. They got to play a lot better, I think, to go undefeated.
2: And the thing you have to wonder too, sorry, shotgun, uh-huh. you can go after me, but, uh, Ger- Gerard Martinez tweets about this all the time, but USC's tends to play down. To its opponent. If these are teams where they're going to pull a Ryan and think, oh, this team's not that good, you have to wonder if USC might have well, a, a track game. Yeah, well, that's what you do all the time. <laughs> you you think Colorado's bad, you think Wazoo's bad, and they're showing some fight. Shocking, what, what was your thought?
3: Uh, I lost my train of thought there. Um, <laughs> when you're talking about those teams, you got to remember they're Pac 12 teams. So they may look good playing other Pac 12 teams, but sure, are sure. they really that good on a national schedule? Eh, who knows? Um, but I, what I was going to say is that you talk about Arizona being in this game and USC, if they have one turnover, would they win this game? How many other conferences is the division champ and a team that's predicted to be in the championship game and, you know, you know a little bit less than 50-50 on that championship game against Oregon, is playing a one-possession game against the worst team in the conference? You know, the, Arizona had the, the least amount of votes of anyone in the conference. You go to the SEC, you think that's happening with Alabama and, you know, Mississippi State or whoever was picked Vanderbilt. No, those things don't have – Ohio State and, uh, you know, Rutgers. The, this no. is the difference. USC is just – they're not playing to their potential. They should be able to blow out teams, and, and Arizona's one of those type teams. Now, did Arizona do some nice things, sure. Give them a little bit of credit for, for doing some nice things. Doesn't mean that USC shouldn't be able to score uh, when they're on the one yard line on third and one instead of getting two straight penalties and getting backed up and then missing the field goal. You know, there, there's just it's there's bad and dumb mistakes that just seem to rear their head over and over mm-hmm. with this team, whether it's penalties or you know a missed assignment on a fourth and one, whatever it may be. You know, whether it's a missed scheme there, I don't know what what you want to call it, but there's mistakes that happen routinely. And Ryan wrote about it, and we've t- discussed it in the past. It's like Groundhog's Day, you know, the movie. Bill Murray, classic Bill Murray movie. Everything is just the same over and over. When's when is this team played us to its to its potential? Yeah, and that's a good question, and probably one that we need to ask Clay Helton. When's the last time this team played to its potential? Because we keep going. If this team plays their potential, if they play their potential, but mm-hmm. they don't ever do it.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the talent level, the potential is here. And what Gerard was saying is you're playing down to the, you know, the the opponent, which was here, especially for an Arizona squad. USC's playing down here. They need to be playing closer, at least Mm -hmm. somewhere approaching it. They really have just not played well. The, 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 The good plays that are happening are just like these talented guys making plays. It doesn't look like this is a team that's well prepared and they know what they're doing. It's just sort of like these random things happening. I mean that ball goes through Arizona's defenders at the end of the game. If he if he holds on to it, game's over and USC loses. And it falls right into Amon St. Brown's hands. You know, you need that kind of lucky play to beat one of the worst teams in the Pac twelve, like Shaka said, like that doesn't happen in other conferences. Ohio State wouldn't do that against Maryland. or Well, Maryland's pretty good this year, but Rutgers. Sorry, Chris Trevino. Uh, yeah. You know, Vanderbilt's not going to do that to Florida. You know, Florida beat some, what, like, who'd they beat? Like, they beat somebody 60-something to Arkansas. whatever. Arkansas, yeah. Who's a pretty good Arkansas team, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and that, was a, that was a perfect touch pass. What are you talking about, Ryan? Um, but those are the type of situations where, you know, not necessarily the Amon Ra one, but you look at some of the catches that Drake London made that are, you know, jumping up and making contested grabs. Where really good players can make up for, for not being, you know, crisp, but you can't, your quarterback can't not, can't not be crisp. And then you have a bunch of penalties and then you won't stick with the run game, even though it's, you know, turning up big yardage for you. You There's just things that just get the offense going in the right direction and let it go. um, and, And it'll be fine. But you, you can't keep shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, I mean, I think Chris wrote about in his The 10 article uh, today or yesterday, okay. you know, that USC has unlimited ammo. And what do you mean by that? Well, to shoot themselves in the foot. They have <laughs> unlimited ammo to shoot themselves in the foot. That's what it seems like every week. You're just like, what new way are they going to come up with to hinder themselves? Because it's not like other teams are really, you know, it's very rare that USC is just getting dominated. It happens every once in a while in the last, you know, half decade or decade. But it's usually USC getting in its own way.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, I'm gonna put us into rapid fire, even on calls, because we are running a little late. Uh, we have another caller on the line. I believe it is da- Darren from Reno. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
3: Hi. I quickly just wanted to touch back on the short yardage situations. I mm-hmm. mentioned something to Shotgun about it on Twitter last night. In my opinion, you have to have a package where Keaton can go under center. Whether you can run a fullback, some jet sweep motion, uh, two or three tight ends, quarterback sneak, they have to do something different. What they're doing right now on short yardage is absolutely idiotic. The fans know it. Other coaches watching uh, probably know it, too. So it's just it's maddening to watch it as a fan happen over and over and over. Anyway, thanks guys. Fight on. Thanks,
2: Darren, and th- thanks for being so patient on the line.
1: Thanks for the call. Yeah, they were even talking about it on the broadcast where you're turning when you're you're in shotgun on fourth and one, you're making it fourth and five. You're you're moving the ball four or five yards away from the line of scrimmage. And it's funny, the first time USC never really had done those kind of things before. And then I, I was covering Fresno State. Also, I, I started the Fresno State site for the rival, and I would go up there. Derek Carr was the quarterback at the time. Devonte Adams was on that team, so there was some some good stuff. But that was the weirdest thing to me to watch. Like, why is, it's third and one? Why are they still in the shotgun? It's fourth and one. What are do they doing in the shotgun? And you just like that's just what they do in a lot of these different spread kind of concepts. So yeah, it's I, I think you can you can put all these weird packages in. I don't see why there's a reason you can't put an under center package in to make something where a, a quick quarterback sneak, we saw Grant Cannell do that, uh, would work. You can do the quarterback
3: sneak, and that's really the only difference there. Uh, you talk about the difference, and it becomes a fourth and five. Well, if you go eye formation and then you turn and hand off the ball, it's you start with a fourth and five, same thing.
1: Nah, you no, know, that's like a fourth and two or something. That's not five. No,
3: if you go play action, your quarterback then has to turn his back to the defense so he can't read the defense. There's, the difference is – there are, are that, that are, those are the reasons why coaches want to stick with it so their quarterback can be consistent he can uh, check and see this was something that was talked about with Justin Herbert last year or not excuse me Jacob Eason when he went play action and turned his back he was terrible but then when he you know when they would do play action out of the shotgun he was much better because he could read the defense better um, so there it's it's those are the give and takes there now can you put in that package and someone asked uh, in the things how hard would it be for usc to throw in a package like that graham harrow talks about you know what was it it was three practices and they installed the entire offense yeah. yes they could put in this package why do they not it's not their philosophy it's just not us as clay helton says um so they're not going to do it should they do it probably but there's also different things that they could be doing instead of that if you're not going to put in that type of package then where is the motion with the tight end, the play action and throw it to him in the flat? We haven't really seen that. Where is the dump off over the top to the tight end? You know, there's things that in this offense that could be done that they're not doing in those short yard situations. And again, if you're gonna bring your splits in really tight, then you're going to allow those edge defenders' chances to, to get in the backfield quicker, and those are the guys that have been causing the most trouble for USC uh, the last two weeks. So I think that you got to look at it schematically. There's some things that they could be doing differently, even if you're not going to put in you know your goal line, quarterback, under center type of situation.
2: Mm-hmm. All righty, we have one more caller, and I believe it is Dave from Iowa. Hello, Dave. Hopefully <laughs> you're live on Tunnel Vision.
4: Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Awesome. All right. So, uh, just saying, I feel like in terms of winning a game, it all starts with uh, you know the trenches and the offensive line, just not getting the push it needed on fourth and eight, on fourth down and the, near the end zone, is ridiculous. And again, I think it should be it should, we should just move on from Tim Chevno, and go up to Oregon and get that offensive line coach. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard but they developed players up in Eugene and the fact that a walk-on started for them this season and, earned a scholarship, and he was offensive lineman of the week. That says something about the coaching. So again, I think we should just go up to Oregon and kind of just, again, do what we did with Dante, Dante Williams.
2: Thanks, Dave. I, I just want to say it's not as easy as just going up to a, a, a school and be like, "We're taking your coach, thanks." <laughs> it's just a little
1: more difficult well, they, than they that. They did that with Dante Williams. So I mean,
2: just... there was some skill and talent involved, but sure, yes,
1: that's yeah. mostly luck, probably. <laughs> I just get it. I just. Yeah, sure. I, I actually like thought
3: play. the offensive line looked pretty, you know, made some good improvements this game. They were a little better. They, thought, they did yeah. some things differently. They pulled Liam Jimmins uh, a few times. They pulled Jalen McKenzie on the Stephen Carr touchdown run as well. Um, so they asked them to do a couple different things. I think, you know, more often, like Marquis Steps touchdown run, he's got to face the guy on his own because they're choosing to double team uh, the defensive end with Elijah Vera Tucker and tight end. I think that's schematically, I don't think you look at the offense line. Like, why is that guy not being blocked? I, unless there's a miscommunication, which is possible. And maybe they have a, you know, there's errors on the, the player's part where they're not, you know, taking the assignment they're supposed to. But I trust that two fourth year, fifth year guys are getting their assignment correct on that play. Why is the tight end not kicking that guy out and let Elijah Vera Tucker take on a block by himself? Elijah Vera Tucker had an elite grade this week. He had an elite passing grade, and elite run blocking grade. Um, he he is uh, you know proving himself as a left tackle and might be making himself quite a bit of money if uh, other teams are uh, NFL teams are starting to see that as well. So it, it, you should be able to trust that guy to take on blocks by himself. Let the tight end go try to make a block in front. Even if the tight end doesn't get a great block, it's better than Marquis Step just having mano and mano and trying to take out the guy. Uh, and there's a couple other times you know the the play that got blown up. Uh, I don't remember if it was the fourth and one or a third and one earlier in the game. Um, they, you had your center was lying down on the ground. You had the, you know, one of your pulling guards couldn't get there. Those are issues that are more, more of a concern to me on the offensive line. Uh, but some of the assignment issues, I'm still confused about schematically what they're trying to do uh, and, and what they, what they should be trying to do. And I don't think the offensive linemen uh, deserve as much blame as maybe they're getting.
1: I got to, we, we got to do some rapid fire questions. Yes, we I do. got a Periscope one. Uh, is uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart expected to play more in the coming games with Steele's penalties? Is he 100%? That's from Keith.
3: He's been in the game and doing some, uh, getting in the rotation. Uh, he had some snaps this game as well as the first week. So he's in the mix. I think they're pretty confident in Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele. There there are, have been the penalties on Chris Steele. And again, I think that, it's, it's pretty correctable, it seems like. Just take your hands off. You're right there in perfect position. It's yeah. not like guys are running away from you and you're pulling on the back of their jersey to say, hey, don't leave me, um, type of thing. So fix that and stay in great position. I mean, the one time the, Isaac Taylor Stewart was thrown out on a deep ball, the uh, the receiver did have a step on him. However, the ball was overthrown. So you know he, he was in good enough position to not be able to give up a, a touchdown on that one. Um, but I think both the, the starting cornerbacks are doing a good job, and I think Isaac Taylor Stewart's only going to continue to work his way in the rotation if he shows that that he's healthy and can make some plays.
2: Okay, we're in rapid fire shotgun, so so digest that
3: it's rapid, rapid fire.
2: fire. Uh, there's a question for you, shotguns from Steven. He says, which receiver does Drake London remind you of? Mike Williams? Question mark.
3: If you were talking about Mike Williams from Clemson, the place for the Chargers, maybe. Um, I, I thought there was a good uh, good comp that was given on Mike Evans from Texas A&M uh, that plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I thought that was an interesting one. I don't think they're, they're asking Drake London to do similar things as Mike Evans did at Texas A&M or at Tampa Bay. So it's kind of hard to say who exactly uh, a good comp for him is because you don't usually see six, five
1: receivers that work exclusively in the slot. Real, hey, real quick for you yes. guys. Speaking of Drake London. Hey. If USC doesn't have Drake London on a team, are they 0 and 2?
3: Whew, that's a good question. I think
1: yes. They got some good receivers still, so yeah. But he, I mean, he's made some big plays.
2: Yes, I'm not denying that. But could I mean, you see like a Bruce McCoy step up in in his shoes? Well, maybe? first of all, the
1: ASU game. I don't know if anyone else is making that catch. Sure. Uh, and they needed him against Arizona. They need all of that. So I don't know. I mean, there was. It's not like you know, other guys didn't play well. But I think they needed all of their talent. Like you could probably name other guys that if you if he were, they weren't in the game, USC loses those two. But I think without him. Uh, they're 0-2. It's almost like talent's important. Talent is.
2: It is. Stars matter? Question mark. Uh, Jim on YouTube says, do you guys think Graham Harrell's ability to scheme offense and use USC's skill talent is overrated or is he too stubborn in the play calling?
3: Hmm. I I think at times he is too stubborn. Um, But he makes some really good adjustments as well, in-game adjustments. Uh, I've seen in the past, you look at that Notre Dame game last year, Uh, There's a couple other games where when they start making the adjustments, they start rolling. I thought the offense, after the first couple of drives, I I told Ryan during our Tunnel Vision show at halftime, I thought the offense would start rolling. And the offense did start rolling until they shot themselves in the foot (laughs) in the red zone. So um, I I thought the offense was moving the ball well, just like last week when they had the four turnovers.
1: And Slovis gets better. Like Slovis does play better in the second half of these games. He was pretty pedestrian in the first half. And John Wilner tweeted out, USC scored eight touchdowns this year. Four of them in the first 56 minutes of games and four of them in the last four minutes of games. So <laughs> wow. it's pretty funny.
2: A Big T on YouTube said all the running backs are running well, but Stephen Carr has something special in him that Vi and Step don't. At what point do you make the decision to give him a heavier load?
3: I think it's hard because all three of those guys just bring such different elements. I mean, they really like Vi in the two-minute drill. Marquis Step is just pounding away but showed you you know, what he could do with that long run. And Stephen Carr, I mean, <laughs> the one play where he made two defenders miss at the same time and then still picks up five yards going the other direction well, it was fun to watch. Um, but I think they're all doing some unique things. And if you don't have to burden any of them too much, I, I don't feel like any of them are you know way out of a rhythm. Um, that's the big concern when you when you mix up the running backs.
1: They've all made some key plays. And mm-hmm. touchdown, you know, the winning touchdown run was great. So they, they could all bring different things to the table. I think Stephen Carr's looked much better now that he deserves to be right up there with those two guys, too.
2: Jasper Smith said, "Uh, will Raymond Scott be a staple in the defense with his play against Arizona?
3: I don't necessarily think that. He missed some run fits and stuff that, you know, after rewatching it, my initial assessment, I was really excited about what he did. After rewatching it, I had to temper that a little bit. Um, But, again, I like the enthusiasm when he comes in there and and the things, other things he can do differently than maybe some of the other linebackers, including spying a quarterback. So maybe you start seeing him for some specific type of of action rather than him maybe taking over a starting spot or anything like that.
2: Facebook, if you want to ask some more questions, uh, go for it because the comments get – erased. It's weird. If you guys talk a lot, it gets pushed down. So if you want to ask rapid-fire questions, go for it. I'll try and look there. Uh, we had a question from OG King one who said, I know I would like to dominate teams like we used to, meaning USC, but isn't winning still winning nonetheless?
1: The thing is, you talk about championships, like Shotgun said earlier, and in this weird year, you only got seven games. You have to be impressive. And at the end of the game, I think it was Joel Klatt or Gus Johnson's like, I don't want to sour this, but this, this this game didn't impress a lot of people, and you have to look well. Clay Helton on the conference call today talked about winning, and Keely hates this—the Pac-12 South Championship. <laughs> there is no Pac-12 South Championship, but yes, if you can technically win the Pac-12 just by winning these games, if you win them all by a point and you don't, you look like crap in all of them, you'll still win. But do you want to? When you're talking about championships, and everyone's talking about hey, there's potential for a college football playoff, you have to look impressive. You have to blow these teams out. And, the, you know, shotgun talks about this all the time. Do you want these young people to play? It's a free year. Everyone can play. You should have blown that team out and got the and cleared the bench and let everyone play. Uh, that didn't happen. I mean, you need these fourth quarter dramatic, you know, finishes to, to win these. So there's a lot of reasons why USC should look better. Yes, a win, you get a win. It's a W. It's 2-0. They talked about that all the time. 1-0 this week, 2 and 2-0. But you want to really talk about championships and be a contender, you can't play in Arizona like you did on Saturday.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the development portion of it, but particularly this year, I test means more than ever yep. with, with so many teams not playing the same amount of games.
2: Uh, interesting question from Coley. He says, uh, where do you learn more information, watching a game in person or watching it on
3: TV? interestingly uh i mean it's hard for me to say because i end up watching the broadcast version multiple times the the correct answer is if you have the skycam, if you have the coach's view the all 22 that that's not where, the answer that's that. where you get the most um it, but it also depends on where you are at the game it you know, be on the concourse i don't see as much don't feel like i learn as much as you know, when i'm usually on the sideline
2: if you're videoing or cameraing not a good verb. Because you're but working. You're yeah. working. You're not really seeing it, which is the issue.
3: Yeah, a lot of times when you're zoomed into something, you know, you don't yeah, see I don't the peripheral see, or yeah. everything else that's going on. Exactly. I,
1: ideally, I like the press box, and I listen to the radio broadcast while it's going on. You get stats from the press box, too. You get different things from the radio broadcast, and then you can actually see and get a feel for what's going on in the stadium. And then you go back and watch the TV broadcast afterwards. Cause sometimes the TV announcers will say things. Yeah.
2: So. They have good stuff. Steven says, did Arizona play zone defense and has pac 12 or have pac 12 teams figured out how to defend the air raid?
3: Yeah. They played some zone defense. They also yeah. played some man defense. Yeah. Um, I think against USC, everyone should be playing zone because you can't match up with their receivers man to man. So I think your best bet is to play zone. But again, Keaton Slovis has continued, even though he's throwing some wobbly passes, to pick, dink, dunk, you know, pick apart defenses. I mean, he connected on his last 12 throws of the game. You know, when it matters most, he's making the throws uh, as, as well as needed. <laughs> they could be definitely better, but as well as needed. Um, so... You know, he, and that was the one thing I asked Clay Helton, you know, where you want to see him improve still. And he said just consistency. He said he's not trying to do too much. He's not forcing throws, which is what you saw at times last year, um, you know, early before he learned uh, a little bit better. So I, I think that teams are going to play that type of defense, but USC can still beat that type of defense. You just have to be consistent with your with your offensive attack.
2: Bob on Facebook says, what happened to the faster pace on offense?
1: For... For Arizona or for USC? I
2: believe on USC. <laughs>
1: uh, they, did, they did some tempo stuff. I mean, they, did, they tried to run some tempo at the, the goal line on that third and one, and then they ended up getting a false start on there. But, yeah, they didn't have as many plays in the first half, and they were sort of out of the, the rhythm a little bit. I think that was part of the problem. Didn't do very well on third downs. You're not picking up third down conversions. It's a little hard to uh, kind of go fast, too.
3: And USC under Graham Harrell just hasn't been that constant pushing the tempo. You know, they will they will go tempo occasionally, especially in those short yardage situations, but not something that they are, you know, a full NASCAR speed, as, uh, you know, is the terminology some coaches use.
2: NASCAR speed. Uh <laughs> This is from Ellison on Facebook. He says, uh, "What do you think about Todd Orlando's defensive scheme? I feel like the players aren't aligned along the front, and this two-down lineman with two light lightweight, lightweight outside linebacker defensive ends are giving up too many yards per carry."
1: It just doesn't look like they're. It's it's like a a team defense right now. It looks like there's some guys making plays, and there you know, we've seen some individual you know crazy plays out there, but. I don't know. It doesn't seem it's like this cohesive unit and a lot of team speed and they're running the swarming of the ball and stuff. Seems there's like there's a lot place. of
2: thinking going on. Sorry it, to cut you off, Ryan. No, no.
1: I think there's more of that than what you would want. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Andrew also on, on the defensive side of the ball says, with three thirty left in the game, SC went ahead 27-23 and they blew the lead. Why can't the defense step up at the end of the game?
3: It's a great question. You know, I put a poll up on Twitter uh, when that drive started and got I think eighty-something responses. Uh, before the drive-in of, do you think USC will get off the field in this drive? And it was 80% said no. So not a lot of fan confidence in, in USC's defense right now uh, to get off the field when they need to.
1: There were some close plays on that drive. I think I believe that was the Connor Murphy sack, and he, he grabbed the face, face mask, mask and you know. stuff. There was just, yeah, I mean, I, I, gave, I thought it was a gutty drive by Arizona. I thought they did, you know, and they dumped, dumped that little screen pass off at the end. And Isaiah Paulmal takes a bad angle, and it's a touchdown. And all of a sudden, Arizona is up. Is up, and there's like a minute and a half left in the game. You're like, wow, how did that happen?
2: Tuli uh, Tulipolo two. No, that's the what the question is about. <laughs> Jasper Smith wanted to know our assessment of Tuli Tulipolo two.
3: I thought he looked good uh, in this game, and you know, he's a guy that stepped up with Caleb Tremblay being out. He got a little bit more run, um, and and made some plays. I mean, I think he had five tackles in this. Uh, so. You know, I didn't expect him to be an immediate guy to be on the field, but the the extra weight he's added this off season—he's around 240 last year when we saw him at at uh, Lawndale High. Now he's up to around 270. You know, it, it looks like it's it's paying off for him.
2: Sid on YouTube wants to know uh, what's going on with Ben Griffiths. He said he had one decent punt, uh, but doesn't seem like he's living up to expectations.
1: He had a couple of good ones in that one, this right? This is I think.
2: Sid's assessment, and yeah. I also made it tunnel vision friendly.
1: <laughs> oh wow, he was it.
3: One was, decent punt. Uh, I mean, that decent punt you speak of was a 58-yarder in the air, the and it was towards the corner. The returner called it at the five-yard line, was tackled at the six-yard line. That's an amazing punt. Yeah. Uh, that's not just a decent punt, and the one he, he later said he blew one into the end zone. Um, that, was, and
1: that was a 61 yarder on that one
3: it was a career long 60, the, the 58 yarder was a career long well he bested that later it was a 61 yarder that went about 4 yards deep in the end zone he kicked it 71 yards in the air from my uh, calculation and so even though it went in the end zone it was 61 yards it's still a net 41 yard that's a, a still a positive there um, now do you want it to hit on the 1 and bounce back? sure but I don't know if you're a punter you expect to be kicking 71 yard bombs all the time maybe Ben Griffiths does the last one was not a great punt. It was only, I think, 20-something yards. He was trying to pin him down. Um, if he kicks that one into the end zone, it would have been like two yards more than what you know the, than what he ended up at. It ended up at the 22. If you want him not to boom things, he tried to place it and didn't have a great placement on that one.
2: Ryan on Facebook uh, has a question about tackling. He says, do they practice angle pursuit drills anymore? We obviously can't see we practice.
1: We not We don't know. We don't. So we
2: don't know. But the angles are not great. It's just not good. And I feel like more so than last year, maybe? Shotgun, what's
3: your assessment? The This common theme from a lot of people are watching this, this is national media members as well, is they look slow. Yeah. And yeah. and that's the angles are part of that. You know, if you're taking crisp angles, then you look a little bit quicker than, than maybe uh, you're actually going. So, yeah, it, it doesn't look great right now. And that, to me, that's not practicing game speed or, um you know, or not – being ready for game speed, I don't know. I don't know if they practice game speed or not, um, because obviously we can't see practice. But they're not ready for game speed. There's been multiple times, both the Joiner touchdown this week and the the touchdown last week by Rashad White. It just looked like the defenders were surprised by the speed. They're just like, whoa, that's much faster than I was expecting.
2: Yeah, that was the weird thing, and I know. Uh, uh... Other people tweeted about it, but ASU, I was kind of like, is are they slow? Not sure. Let's wait another week, and it just felt like that was confirmation. Uh, Sinke says, whatever happened to wide splits and open open running lanes for running backs?
3: Uh, Great question. I mean, there's been time. That's what the idea of the air raid is: is to spread them out with your receivers, and then you know you can catch them trying to move those linebackers out. And I wanted to bring this up because this was talked about in the game and the talk about them throwing those quick screens on first downs. Um, You know, USC completed 16 of 20 passes on first down. So, you know, there was a lot of talk about how they're getting backed up by throwing on first down. They completed, you know, 16 of 20. That's really good numbers. They throw those quick screens and it doesn't have the same impact as when you run straight at somebody and you wear them down that way. But it also does have an impact of it starts splitting those linebackers further out on a defense as they start taking an extra step to get out closer to because they're the ones that are normally making those tackles. They're coming from the inside to try to make the tackle as the extra defender there. So you see them split out and that's when you're supposed to be able to attack up the seams, both with the pass, which USC did some, but also with the run. And you know, I, I just, you haven't seen that. The play that looks like Oklahoma State is what I kind of look at it as. Oklahoma State just always seems like when you watch their highlights – There's that one running play where it's just everyone's wide open and a running back takes off up the middle and there's just, like, nobody there. You just haven't seen that from USC. I just expect, like, a Keenan Christensen to get a handoff one time and just take off and just be like, he splits the safeties, they're just out of place, and they can't get there. And that really hasn't happened with USC the last two years.
2: Keenan was in and out of the medical tent uh, on Saturday, too, so that's something to watch for, yeah. Uh, Adler says, if Slovis' arm is off again, do you see a backup come in?
1: no.
3: I think it comes down to results. If USC is still in the game or, you know, right there, if they're down 21 points, you know, it may be much different.
1: I mean, this is like we're in, uh, you know, Toa Lobendon, love of your life situation. Like, they are not taking Keaton Slovis well, out of the Well, you also
2: know what Matt Fink is going to get you, and you know what Fink is, er, is, uh, Slovis is going to get you. And I think given the fact that they're not w- willing to acknowledge that there is even really an issue with Slovis, yeah. I just don't see that happening. No. Uh,
3: but but if they're playing Utah, you know Matt Fink's a Utah killer.
2: That's true. <laughs> you never know. Uh, Adler also said, "Do you think lack of player development will continue to set back recruiting?"
3: Um, he asked, "Will it set us back even more with recruiting three-star players?"
2: I was uh, modifying the question.
3: <laughs> I, I think his his initial question is correct. Your question, um, yeah, definitely. You know that's one of the the big things your top players are looking at is player development. So. If they don't feel like they're seeing that consistently from USC, then you're going to have a hard time uh, convincing the, you know, the top tier, top 10, top 25 players in the country to come to your school. So quickly,
2: I have a question for you too. I was getting, I was seeing tweets and I was also getting texts about it. It's from what I heard, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt seemed frustrated by USC. Is that true? What happened there? (laughs)
1: I don't know if it was frustrating, but they, I mean, they definitely were critical of the coaching of the the scheme. I mean, they said the offense was not fun to watch. Like it's a difficult watch. And um, I mean, the feeling you got was they saw that there was a lot of talent on this team and they just weren't playing to that potential and they weren't really being helped by the coaches. That was the kind of feeling I got from it.
3: Interesting. To give an analogy, sometimes you watching USC's offense is like watching a, you know, a new sports car owner, Someone who has a beautiful Lamborghini or Ferrari and just doesn't know how to work the clutch, and, just, eh, 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 and it's going. You're just like, oh, don't don't do that to that car. It could be, it could look so beautiful driving down the road if you just know what you're doing. And I feel like that's still the case with USC's offense at times.
2: How often do you watch sports car, new sports car owner, Shogun?
3: Every time I see a Lamborghini go by, my eyes okay. are, are turning.
2: Interesting. Oscar on Facebook says, I love how aggressive the DBs are playing, and I'm willing to take one or two PIs per game. What do you guys say?
3: I mean, the fact that you're not giving up, like, it's not like those guys are getting burnt. It's not Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin aren't getting burnt deep. So they're there, again, make the correction, take your hands off, and then maybe take your hands off and put your hands in front of the receiver and take one the other way.
1: Yeah, there was, uh, there was a defensive holding, a personal foul, and two a pass interference and a face mask on the defense. So, I mean, that wasn't... Those been weren't all in the DBs, though. No, like, the pass interference and the holding were. I think the personal foul... Was Raylan um, go for Yeah. And then the face math was uh, Connor Murphy.
2: Christian on YouTube says, uh, Did you ever figure out what happened with Drake Jackson? I believe it was dehydration. I don't know what Clay Hilton said officially. He
1: got an IV or whatever. I was told yeah.
2: dehydration. Um, and then uh, basically, people want to know is this the lowest scoring? every offense you've seen? Just because they keep talking about, you know, they could be in the 50s, but we're not seeing that.
1: Well, Clay Hilton said there was eight trips to the red zone, so part of it was if you get eight trips to the red zone, you should be scoring 50 points, and they had 34. So, um, you know, those three trips that you only got three points, that was pretty bad, especially because those were inside the 10. It wasn't like, oh, you got to the 19, and it was third and, you know, eight or something when you got to the 19. No, you were in the red zone. You were deep in the red zone. You were inside the 10 and couldn't score. So, yeah, I think... They need to put up a lot more points than what they're doing. You got to finish it off. Uh, they didn't finish off some drives uh, over the you know, on Saturday.
3: I mean, thirty-four points is a fine point total, but the opportunities you have, you should be able to put up more points than you have.
1: I said forty to thirty for this game, so I got pretty close. They, you know, well done they missed the field goal. It would have been like pretty close
3: shotgun.
2: Apparently the new, uh, Lambos and Ferraris don't have any six shifts in their new models. So the, the irony of your analogy didn't, didn't really land. I said a
3: new sports car owner. I didn't say it had to be a new sports car.
4: <laughs>
2: okay. Okay. Um, any final thoughts, gentlemen, I'm going to wrap this one up, Ryan. I know you wanted to be in and out for this episode, so I'll wrap it up here. Any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, we appreciate everyone joining us. We'll be back on Wednesday doing a preview. We should know a lot more about the, uh, the Utah game, but yeah, this was, you know, we we should, yeah, I mean, or Colorado game. Uh, It's just, (laughs) I mean, it's Groundhog's Day, and it's unfortunate because you just want to see this team, you know, they've worked so hard, Uh, and I wrote this in my column, like, they had to write a letter to the governor just to get the Pac-12 to play football. They had to work out in these smaller groups all summer, trying to figure out ways. I thought they did a really good job of figuring out whatever they could do, maximize their opportunities over the summer when they weren't allowed to gather in large groups, when they weren't allowed to lift weights inside, and they weren't allowed to do, you know, exchange footballs and stuff. So they worked really hard to get here and worked hard through the the training camp. You want to see something better for the players, and they deserve more than I think what they're getting. So I think the coaches are doing them a bit of a disservice right now. Some of it's going to be on the players too, but really I I think that... We haven't seen this team get even close to what their potential are. So that's, that's just my takeaway. Will they get it right? They might. Um, at this point, I don't know. It's, just, it's hard to say. You're going to play your third team in a row that hasn't played a game yet. That's a big advantage for USC. USC's just got a lot of advantages outside of having way more talent than everybody else. And you're just not seeing it. They're, just, they're this close to losing every game. And that's just not something you really want to see when you have that big of a talent advantage.
3: Yeah, I think the, the big thing this week is just, you know, staying flexible for both the coaches and fans, you know, never know what exactly is going to happen because it could be Friday and you could get a change of schedule like happened for Cal and UCLA. So uh, everyone should stay flexible this week. Hopefully USC is addressing the needs. The, the one thing that one area where you think that there should be some progress is on that defensive side. You know as they get more time in this defense without having a spring or, or uh, you know an extended summer and, and time to put stuff in, I, I think the defense will continue to get better and I think that will definitely help the team going forward.
2: Okay, I'll add one last question. It's from Mark, who says, What happens with division standings or tiebreakers now with teams not playing the same amount of games? Do we know fully yet? There
1: was, I've looked it up before. They sent it out. There's, like, percentages. There's a whole bunch of tiebreakers. There's percentages. There's head-to-head. But if there's, like, the exact same, uh, it's gonna, it relies on the uh, college football playoff rankings. Unfortunately, though, the rankings come out, like, on Tuesday before the championship game. So you might be, there could be, like, a three-way tie, and you wouldn't know who the, the higher ranked team is until like a couple days later. So there's a, there's a lot of weird stuff that is going on. We don't know. Like Utah might be out of it if they miss another game. Uh, I'm not exactly sure as far as the minimum number of games. We know that in other, I think the Big Ten, there's like a minimum. You have to play at least six or something like that. Um, it might be four. I can't remember exactly what it is for the Pac-12, but uh, I'll look it up. Can yeah,
3: you? we, we got to look that one up because Arizona State and Utah already have lost two games each. You know, either one of them loses another game or they're going to be eligible in the South to even have a chance. Yep. Who knows?
2: All righty, that's going to wrap it up. Wherever you are, if you could hit that like button, the subscribe, whatever your platform suggests, please do it. It helps us out, and we appreciate it. We appreciate all your questions, guys. Uh, Lots of questions. We uh, love hearing from you guys. We'll be back on Wednesday to preview whichever Pac-12 South Team USC will play (laughs) on Saturday. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, But that's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Wednesday. Bye.